one, all of our young people, sixth grade and down, you can be dismissed for Children's Church. Out the back doors into the fellowship hall. Philippians chapter 1. We'll look at three main passages in the book of Philippians this week. As I shared with you before, uh, I went to preach this conference meeting for uh, First Baptist Church of Wayland where my dad pastors. Uh, I had told him I was planning on preaching expositorily through the book of Philippians. I had memorized the book of Philippians the end of last year, the first of this year, and uh, just thought it would be a good exercise to preach an entire week, eight messages through the book of Philippians. And then about a month before we went, my dad said, son, called me, said, this is my last revival conference that I'm going to be hosting as pastor before we, uh, I resign and turn things over. And he said, and apparently he was thinking, go big or stay home. So he said, we're going to do a year in a week. I'm like, okay. He said, so for adult Sunday school, Sunday morning, we're going to commemorate uh, Grandparents' Day. And he said, and then Sunday morning, Valentine's Day. Sunday night, Resurrection, Easter Sunday. Monday night, Mother's Day. Tuesday night, Father's Day. Wednesday night, Fourth of July, Independence Day. Thursday night, Thanksgiving. And Friday night, Christmas. You still want to preach out of Philippians? I was like, whoa, Dad. So anyways, a little bit of a curveball, but it worked out fine. And I still was able, uh, even on Mother's Day... Uh, Monday night to uh, preach a message from the book of Philippians, yes, on Yodius and Syntyche, in case any of you who are familiar with the book of Philippians understand that. Uh, I probably will preach that message at some point here, and uh, the Lord helped with that. Uh, you know, when it comes to Mother's Day, we pastors, it's like a double-edged sword sometime because you preach with the desire to encourage and uh, last year, Mother's Day, we were at Wayland when my dad preached a Mother's Day message. And this happens. This just happens sometimes as part of a preacher's world. It did not go well. It was not encouraging to the mothers. And I think only one lady that, left, that day left and went through the door where dad was standing and shook his hand. All the others went out another door. <laughs> Thankfully, he can laugh about that now. But uh, anyway, I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. And verse number 27 is where we'll begin. I think it's appropriate. So this is a, this is a brand new message. I, I developed eight brand new messages this last week. I, uh, I have some dear friends who are evangelists, but I got to tell you, after eight messages, traveling to get out there, preaching eight messages, and then 12 hours back yesterday, I said, Lord, thank you for calling me to be a pastor. Where I can stay, stay put, but I always have an appreciation for my evangelist friends when I do something like that for just one week, and those guys do it for 40 to 45. It takes the gifting of God in order to do it for sure. But uh, anyway, so I'm going to preach a couple of those messages that I prepared brand new this past week for that meeting uh, today, uh, especially after sitting in a Suburban for 13 hours yesterday. So I hope you'll understand that. I want to preach a message that I preached this past Wednesday night uh, when uh, the church there commemorated Independence Day or 4th of July, a patriotic uh, service, a message entitled Dual Citizenship, Dual Citizenship. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 27, only the Apostle Paul says to the church at Philippi, you remember the background, he had started the church in the early 50s A.D., 
And now he writes back to them 10 years later from Rome and in his first Roman imprisonment. And he makes that clear. He's in prison, but he's writing back to this church, essentially a thank you letter, an encouragement for the support of this church to uh, him and his ministry for their fellowship together in the gospel. Uh, But in verse number 27, in in verses 25 and 26, he said, listen, I'm probably going to be getting out soon. I don't know when it will be, and I'm going to be coming to see you. I'm going to be coming to see you again. Uh, And he's grateful for that. He's looking forward to that. But essentially, verse number 27, when he begins the verse with the only, he's essentially saying this, In the meantime, until I get out and come see you, only, in the meantime, if you would, let your conversation be as it becometh or attracts to the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. The word affairs speaks of all of the events, the daily life that surround the Philippians there as Christians in the city of Philippi. That I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit. It's a military term, talking about a soldier standing his ground. And then you do that with one mind, striving together. That's an athletic term, literally Speaking of a team sport, a tag team wrestling sport, or a team where we together with our uh, teammates engage. And he said, whether you stand, I want you to stand like a soldier in one spirit, stand fast, and I want you to do so with one mind striving together like a team member of an athletic team, and to do this for the faith of the gospel, and to nothing terrified by your adversaries which is to them an evident token of perdition or judgment. That is, when they see you standing in confidence for the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's an indication to them that they're on the wrong side of the equation. Okay, You're standing there in confidence based on a future hope and the gospel of Christ, and as they persecute you, it becomes to them an evident token of judgment that's coming to you of salvation, deliverance. God's going to deliver you. He says, verse number 29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, speaking about ten years before when he was imprisoned in Philippi, Acts chapter 16, and now here to be in me, speaking of his first Roman imprisonment. Somebody joked years ago and said that when the Apostle Paul went to a new town and he went to a lot of them, one of the first things he did was to go look up the local jail because he had a good idea he was going to be there eventually anyway for preaching the gospel. Aren't you glad for the liberties that we have as Americans? Okay. By the way, as we think about being Constitution Day and weekend, as we uh, thank God for our, our liberties as Americans, I would remind you, and I really don't have a lot of time to get into this, but there were times in the early days of our country when those liberties did not exist, and some of our forefathers in this faith spent time in jail for preaching the gospel. Nine of the original 13 colonies did not have religious liberty to begin with. And so closer to home, we could say, let's thank God for those who've paid the price so that we can have the liberty that we do today. In verse number 27, Paul said, only let your conversation be as it becometh or uh, attracts to the gospel of Christ or is of equal weight or fitting with the gospel of Christ. The word conversation that he uses is not our word for conversation. We talk about having a conversation with someone, but it's talking about a manner of life, a way of living Okay, that is directly tied to your citizenship. The idea is only let your citizenship be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And your citizenship that uh, plays itself out in the way that you live. You and I have the blessing 
At least as far as I know, every one of us in this room have the blessing of being a citizen of the United States of America. We go to other places in the world and we stand out. I'll never forget the first time I went to Brazil. Glad to have Roxanne Ribeiro here. I'm going to mention her again in just a moment. The first time I went to Brazil, second time maybe that I went to Brazil, I was interacting with uh, brother with uh, uh, Roxanne's dad, Brother Ram, and he said, everybody knows you're American. Even though there were other European-looking people around, he said, everybody knows you're American. And I don't know if it's still this way or not, but he said, everybody knows you're American because you have a T-shirt on under your shirt. And apparently Brazilians, a lot of Brazilian men don't do that. But he said, you stand out. Everybody knows it. And uh, we as Americans, we go other parts of this world, we tend to stand out, don't we? Okay. But I want us to consider the subject of dual citizenship this morning. When Paul speaks of the conversation of the citizenship of these believers in verse 27, he's talking about their earthly citizenship as Philippians. And we'll see why that's significant here in just a moment. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help. Father, would you strengthen us as we look into your word? Give us your guidance and direction. I pray as we consider, for those of us who know Christ as saviors, we consider our dual citizenship, not only citizens of earth, but also by the grace of God, citizens of the heavenly kingdom. I pray that you would help us to understand the right use of the dual citizenship that we have. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I know that Roxanne has dual citizenship. Am I correct? Dual citizenship. She has a United States passport. And she has a Brazilian passport. Uh, I'm guessing that one of the advantages of that as a missionary and the daughter of missionaries is that when she travels to Brazil, she uses her Brazilian passport so that you can skip the visitor line with all the scrutiny and the interrogation. Okay. Whatever that there is. And then when she travels to the United States, because her mama is an American citizen. Is your dad an American citizen now too? Dad is too, even though he's Brazilian as well. Okay. When she comes to the United States, she uses her United States passport because she gets to skip the visitor line then, then too. Dual citizenship. What an advantage. And there are blessings for that for her as a missionary's daughter and now as a missionary herself as she passes back and forth between the two countries. Now, not every country allows that option, but in this case it does, and it's a tremendous advantage for Roxanne in the work that God's called her to do in her travels. But I want you to understand that you and I, those of us who know Christ as Savior, children of God by faith in Jesus Christ, have a dual citizenship as well. And there are blessings and privileges that come with that. And I want us to consider some of those this morning. As the Apostle Paul addresses the church at Philippi, he's addressing people who were citizens of the city of Philippi, which Acts chapter number 16 tells us was a colony of Rome. The colony of Rome, it was a city that was not a part of Italy. It was within the boundaries of territory that Rome had conquered. And what would happen is after the Caesars had had a battle in that area, in that continent, in that country, they would discharge a group of their Roman soldiers who had fought to conquer that area. And then they would designate a city in that area as a colony. And basically, the idea of a city that was not a part of Italy could be, in this case, 700 miles from Rome. The city of Philippi had pride of status because it was a colony. And essentially, it was this, that even though it was 700 miles away from Rome, the citizens of that city had all the rights and the privileges of being Rome itself, even though 700 miles away. 
And it was a tremendous advantage for them. These soldiers would be discharged. They would spend the rest of their life without ever going back to Italy. They would make a home in a place that was remote. And as a gift to them for their service to the country, the Roman Empire would grant to them, the emperor would grant to them, even though they were a long way away, that slice of real estate state called Philippi was as if they were in Rome itself when it came to their rights and privileges. Paul will make the connection, one of the big themes of the book of Philippi, he'll make the connection that you and I, who've trusted Christ as Savior, have dual citizenship. We have earthly citizenship, and in this case, these Philippians had a very high-quality earthly citizenship, especially in a day when 60% of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. It was a high privilege to have Roman citizenship. It was a high privilege to live in a city like Philippi. But these people had also trusted Christ as Savior when Paul, 10 years before, had come and preached the gospel. They had trusted Christ as Savior, and they had gotten a new citizenship that was out of this world. And Paul will refer to that in chapter 3 in just a little bit, and we'll go and look at it as well. Chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. We have a citizenship, a conversation, a citizenship that is in heaven. So we have dual citizenship and get the connection just as the members of the city of Philippi, the citizens of the city of Philippi had all the rights and the privileges as though they lived in Rome itself. Those of us who've trusted Christ as Savior, no matter where we live on earth, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, you have all the rights and privileges as if you were already in heaven in a certain sense. That's our heavenly citizenship. And Paul would talk about that in chapter 3. And so Paul, building off of this concept that emphasizes how heavenly citizens should live as earthly citizens or dual citizenship, he uses this uh, concept of Philippi and earthly citizenship and their dual citizenship, if you would, both of the city where they lived and of Rome, to teach the importance of our own dual citizenship. If we've trusted Christ as Savior, we have heavenly citizenship and earthly citizenship. Here's the thought for us this morning. The earth, the eternal heavenly citizenship that you and I have, if you're this morning of trusted Christ as Savior, the eternal heavenly citizenship that you and I have, it should shape our earthly citizenship. Okay. It should shape our earthly citizenship. First of all, dual citizenship, as we're speaking about this morning, an earthly citizen who also has heavenly citizenship. We should use our dual citizenship, number one, to make much of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says to them in verse number 27, only let your conversation or your citizenship, your earthly citizenship, to these Philippians who had a very high quality of earthly citizenship in contrast to all other people and slaves in the Roman Empire. He said, only let your conversation or your citizenship be as it becometh the gospel of Christ or as it makes the gospel of Christ attractive. We don't use the word becometh a lot nowadays, but it's a word that was many times used to speak of an attractive woman. She was a becoming woman. Okay, I could say this about my wife. I could say that grace is very becoming to me. What does that mean? That means that she draws me. I'm attracted to her. Paul says to these Philippian believers, he said, take this wonderful earthly citizenship that you have and make sure that it draws people to the gospel. Use it 
to make the gospel of Jesus Christ attractive. We could make application in our lives as citizens of the United States of America. What a privilege it is, and all of us should say to that, amen. What a privilege it is, even if things may not be going in this country like you like for it to go right now, okay? It's still a blessing to have American citizenship. And Paul, by application, would say to us, don't use it for personal advantage. Use it to make much of the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay? Just as he said to these Philippians, whether it's whichever side of the aisle it is, doesn't it, it grate you? Whether it's a Democrat or a Republican, progressive or conservative, whatever it is, doesn't it grate with you when you find out about a politician who uses their insider information about the financial world to personally advantage themselves? When they use a privilege that they have to their own benefit, doesn't that bother you? Bothers me. Whether it's Pelosi's husband or somebody else, using, using insider information to personally bring advantage to themselves. That's just wrong. <laughs> Do you agree with me this morning? Okay, you agree. I don't care who it is, whichever side of the aisle, conservative, liberal, whoever it is, that's not right. Paul says here, listen, you've been given this wonderful citizenship as Philippians. In contrast to the fact that 60% of the population of Rome are slaves and not everybody has this privilege, here's this city of Philippi, what a tremendous advantage that you have. And then on top of that, you trust Christ as Savior and now you're citizens of the heavenly kingdom. Now use the blessings and the advantages of the citizenship that you have. Use it to draw people to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make much of the gospel. But I want you to notice, secondly, dual citizenship, our being earthly citizens and having heavenly citizenship also. I want you to notice, number two, that it should model godly living. Notice, if you would, chapter number two and verse number 12. So, dual citizenship should make much of the gospel. Number two, dual citizenship that we have as both citizens of this wonderful country and citizens of heaven, those of us who've trusted Christ as Savior, our dual citizenship, number two, should model godly living. Notice chapter 2 and verse number 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Go back to the first word of verse number 12, wherefore. Remember, when Paul uses the word wherefore, the scripture does, it's turning our mind back to what was just said. What has Paul just talked about in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11? He's talked about the obedience of Jesus Christ in coming to die in our place. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So when Paul uses the word wherefore, he's essentially saying this, like Jesus obeyed, now you keep obeying. Wherefore... My beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. And notice this. He said, work out your own salvation. He did not say work for your salvation. Distinct and very important difference. He didn't say work for your salvation. He said work out your salvation. He's referring to salvation as a work that God has already begun in us when we trusted Christ as Savior. Recognized my sin has separated me from God. There's nothing I can do to save myself. 
In faith, I cried out to the Lord Jesus, who with his finished work had paid for my salvation. But then the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away, all things become new. And there's a sense in which now I work out in my daily life what God has done in me. So he says, work out. We could say this is referring to sanctification. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Verse 14, do all things. He gets very practical. Do all things. He's speaking to these Philippian believers living in a city called Philippi that's considered to have equal rights and privileges to the Roman Empire. And there was a lot of wickedness in Philippi too. And so now Paul is pointing out a second aspect of dual citizenship, the need for it to model godly living. Do all things, Paul said, without murmurings and disputings, without complaining and arguing. Why? Verse 15, that ye may be blameless and harmless. No indictment can be brought against you. And then the idea of this word harmless is the idea of a hypocrisy that I covered over that is a dangerous hypocrisy that when it's discovered or some unbeliever sees it, it'll give them a reason to reject Christ to their own detriment. Paul said, listen, you need to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. You've trusted Christ as Savior. He's brought you into the family. You go around professing, testifying to be a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Live up to that testimony. Do so, he says, without rebuke. And this is to be done in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. word crooked is the idea of being warped. We live in a warped here. He's speaking about in, in the first century, the Roman Empire. You live in a warped nation, a crooked nation. The idea is a crooked and perverse nation, a nation that's warped and off course. As a consequence of sin, the world in which we live is warped and off course. And so the need for those of us who have dual citizenship to model godly living is vital. We live in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. Dual citizenship should model godly living. Several illustrations that the Apostle Paul gives here through the words that he uses. He speaks of us as sons of God who need to be blameless and harmless. That word harmless is the idea of nothing covering up hypocrisy. The, a synonym for the word harmless that Paul uses here is the word sincere. Somebody who's for real. The word sincere comes from a Latin word, sinceros, which literally means without wax. And in the first century, or not having wax, in the first century when a, a potter would form a vessel and then kiln dry it, depending on how he mixed the clay and the temperature at which he heated the kiln in order to dry that potter's vessel, that vessel, if it wasn't mixed properly and if it wasn't heated properly, there were times that because of a faulty mix of clay or the improper use of the heat, that pits or weak spots would develop in that clay. And a potter, a manufacturer, had a choice to make. Am I going to be honest and break it up and start over and make sure I get my mix of clay right and the baking process right? Or am I going to try and pass off this defective vessel? 
And a dishonest businessman would take wax and he would rub wax into the pits and the weak spots of that clay vessel. And then he would paint over it or glaze over it and it looked like a really good quality uh, implement, if you would, or vessel until a wife tried to use it with heat. And then the wax would melt out of the pit and somebody realized, I've just been had. I bought a defective vessel. And so what an honest craftsman would do is if he knew his mix of clay was right and he had his technique down and the kiln drying process was mastered, he would also stamp in the bottom of that clay vessel the Latin word sinceros, which meant without wax. In other words, what you're getting is without defect. My uncle worked for years in the train wheel manufacturing industry in Iowa. And they had an x-ray process after a wheel had been poured into a mold of molten steel. There were certain processes that were done in order to make sure that no air pockets developed in that steel as it cooled and set up. Because literally a small air pocket in a train wheel, when you put the full weight of a train car on that wheel that could cause that wheel with that air pocket, even a small air pocket, literally to explode and cause a train derailment. And so an x-ray process, a very scrupulous process to make sure that those train wheels didn't have any air pockets in it because the consequence could cause great harm. Paul says, listen, as dual citizenship, there is the need for those of us who have dual citizenship to model godly living because if we don't, as those who profess to be sons of God, it could cause great harm. So we need to be blameless and harmless as the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Crooked meaning warped. I've used this illustration right here in my notes. God's people in a very sincere and good and sweet sense, need to be a straight stick. We live in a world of crooked sticks. By the way, we're crooked sticks that are only made useful by the grace of God. Okay. But our lives need to be righteous lives. I'm reminded of the story of the camp where I grew up as a boy. There was an old bachelor that ran the Christian camp. He was an evangelist out of Arkansas in southern Missouri. And uh, he built the, all the buildings on the campus, with the exception of one or two, he built them out of uh, salvaged bridge steel from the Missouri Highway Department. And I'm not kidding you, nothing on that camp was plumb or level. Everything was done with a welder, and he would weld it. And the reason it all looked okay is because it all was out of level. A good pastor friend of my dad's said, you know, for years I said, old brother Halford, the camp director, the evangelist, for years I said that he didn't have a level on the camp. And he said, but I found out one day I was wrong. I showed up and I found him with a level in his hand. He was using it as a pry bar. <laughs> but the, the need, listen, for God's people, as we reflect this book, to be providing an idea in the minds of this crooked and perverse world in which we're living in, this is what straight looks like. Okay. Am I saying, I, I wouldn't dare want to come across as saying that, as being self-righteous, holier than thou. There's a lot of work God's still doing in our lives. 
One thing's for sure, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that there needs to be a difference between God's people and the people of this world. Okay. The difference. Crooked and perverse nation. It's the idea of a nation of people that were off course as mankind rebelled against God. And Paul said, listen, you live in a crooked and perverse nation and as dual citizenships, dual citizens, there's the need, there's the need for God's people to model godly living. Yesterday and on our way out there, we had the GPS, well, yesterday in particular, the GPS going, there were a couple times where we would come to a a, 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 a transition, a change from one highway to the next, and Judson's learning to drive, and, and the GPS is giving directions plenty in advance, and then I spoke up. It must have been maddening for Judson to have me riding shotgun. And the GPS had said a few miles before, uh, you know, take exit such and such ahead, and we're there, and we're getting up on it, and I'm noticing that Judson's three lanes over, and there are vehicles, and I'm like, Judson, get over, get over, now, get over, get over. And, you know, if you drive by something like that, what's Siri going to say? Rerouting, very calmly, rerouting. But instead, Judson's having to deal with me like, get over, get over, Judson, you're going to miss this, Judson. Judson's like, uh, okay. When we think about living in a perverse nation, there's the need for sane voices. There's a lot of confusion out there. and The need for sane voices. God's people to say with love, this is what God said in his word. As we are used by God to give direction. So, dual citizens should model godly living. We need to be sweet and sincere in our sonship. We need to be a straight stick. A sane voice. And then notice what else Paul says in this passage. We live in this crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. The word lights that Paul uses here is not just speaking about any light, but it's talking in particular about the heavenly lights. Stars. You think about it. In the first century, stars were vital for determining direction, for navigation. Now we just plug an address in our phone, don't we? But in those days, the stars were vital. I love this. The first time it took Grace to visit my parents. She grew up in southwest Chicago in a city of all these lights. And she stood out in my parents' front yard out in rural northeast Missouri. And she looked up. She said, I do not remember the last time I saw this many stars. The, the importance of stars to direction. And do you know that that's what Paul says here? He said, listen, you shine as light, stars in a dark world. Our lives are to be so clear in how they shine the truth of Scripture and the light of Christ that people can make decision directions based on what they see in our lives. They can navigate as we seek to point them to Christ and to point them to the way of righteousness, our lives are like stars. And notice this. Paul is stating a fact. He said, among whom ye shine. He's not giving a command. He's not saying you people need to shine. He's essentially saying this. You are shining. The real question is, how are you shining? The need to model godly living. The need for there to be a clear distinction in our lives. I was driving last week to see my grandmother back the old country roads. And as I popped up over a ridge, there was a yearling doe in the middle of the road. She was 
She had probably just traded out her spots. She was pretty young. She was standing there, and I immediately came to a stop. Uh, and then she just stood there, right in the middle of the load, road. Cattle fence with a strand of barbed wire on either side of the road, about 15 feet off either side of the pavement. And she just stood there. And then she turned around and saw me. And instead of running right off the road, she just kind of started running down the middle of the lane right in front of me. And I began to speed up a little bit. And then she would look over her shoulder and realize he's still back there and he's coming faster. And I'm not taking a very wise course of action. And eventually she veered off the road as I sped up. She veered off the road and then she panicked. And she tried jumping that cattle fence with a strand of barbed wire across the top of it. And she didn't get clear over it. As I'm driving by, I'm watching this whole thing unfold. She didn't get all the way by. She literally, thankfully, there was enough of a, of a looseness in the cattle fence that as she went to throw herself over the fence, she went between the strand of barbed wire on the top and the cattle fence on the bottom, and she got turned clear around and flailed all the way through and bounced off into the pasture on the other side. I have no idea if she got cut up on the barbed wire. I do know that she survived. And I thought to myself, that wasn't very pretty, but at least she got away. And listen, when it comes to our fleeing from the sin and the mix and the mar of this world as God's people, it may not be very pretty, but just get away. Get away. Let there be a distinction in our lives because dual citizenship requires the importance of modeling godly living. So dual, dual citizenship should make much of the gospel. Dual citizenship should model godly living. And thirdly, and finally, I want you to notice this. Would you look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 21? Number 3, I'll give us this and then we'll conclude. Number 3, dual citizenship should always be moving in the direction of our heavenly home. Should always be moving in the direction of our heavenly home. Verse number 20 of chapter 3, Paul begins with a conjunction for our conversation is in heaven now, the reason he begins with that conjunction is he's giving a reason for why the Philippian believers should follow him and other godly leaders. If you go back to verse number 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as you have us for an example. And then there's an important contrast, verse number 18, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And by the way, Paul's not talking about pagans here. He's talking about other people who profess to be Christians, including some preachers who confess to be Christians. But notice what he says about him, verse number 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, their self-serving, and whose glory is in their shame. They brag about things that they should be ashamed of. We don't have to look too far. They mind earthly things. We don't even have to look too far in our day to find people who call themselves Christians who fit that description. Paul said, listen, because of this contrast of people out there that want others to be following them, he said, listen, follow us. Why? For our conversation, and he uses that word citizenship that determines a manner of life. Our citizenship, our conversation is in where? Heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said in Ephesians 2, we are as good as seated together already in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, we're to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And so Paul said, listen, follow me, not because of me, but follow me because I got my face locked in on heaven. I'm moving in the direction of my heavenly home. We look from 
heaven, we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come who shall change our vile body, our weak, frail, fallen body. He's going to change it that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. How many of you are looking forward to a new body? The Bible promises the Lord is going to give us one of those. Paul said our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. And so in this passage, he's referring to his heavenly citizenship, whereas in chapter 1, he's referring to their earthly citizenship. A focus on heaven and on Christ will help you and I walk faithfully and truly in this old world so that others can follow our example, so that others can be directed to the Lord Jesus Christ, so that others can be directed in the way of godliness. And looking... As Paul says here, as we look for the Savior, and as Paul would say in the book of Titus, we look for that blessed hope, looking a person who is fixed in on their heavenly home is going to stand out. Recently, and I don't even remember where it was, I wish I could, I was in an event where the Pledge of Allegiance was being said, the national anthem was being sung, and I remember noticing a man not pledging when we all pledged allegiance. And at first that bothered me. All the rest of us, hand over heart, pledging allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, singing along with the national anthem. Now this man was respectful. At first it bothered me. He stood out because he was the only one there that didn't pledge and didn't sing the national anthem. That bothered me until I found out that he was a citizen of another country visiting the United States. He didn't know this country allegiance. His allegiance was to another country. The lesson for you and for me is this, is that when our allegiance is to the heavenly country, that's going to make us stand out. It'll make us to stand out. I told the folks in Missouri last week when I was there, I've lived in North Carolina almost all of my adult life, and I still have native North Carolinians say to me, you're not from around here, are you? still have it. How many of you transplants experience that every once in a while? Especially when I've gone to county council meetings before and heard people stand up and say, my people go all the way back to the Revolutionary War in Polk County. I'm like, I got a long way to go. (laughs) Now I go back to Missouri and people say, you have a southern accent. I can't win no matter where I am, right? But we stand out. I've traveled all over the world and people recognize me as an American, a citizen of the United States of America. But you and I in our daily lives, people should be able to look at us and say, they're not really from around here. They belong somewhere else. Now they're here. And by the way, that's what will make you the best United States citizen is to be a good heavenly citizen while you're on earth. I've used this story before, but I close with it in a different setting. In the late 12th, or late, late 13th and early 14th century, the wars for Scottish independence took place. And some of this has been in the news with the Queen's recent passing and King Charles III taking the throne. But in the wars for Scottish independence, when the people of Scotland and those clans from the Highlands in particular were fighting for their independence from England... A Scottish clan's chieftain was imprisoned in a castle tower in the lowlands. High in a castle tower with just one window. 
And after a couple of years of being imprisoned and he was released, as the story goes, someone was in that castle cell. And they noticed that window that was up almost nine feet from the floor. They noticed two indentions in the stone still of that castle window. And apparently that chieftain, recognizing that that window pointed in the direction of his Scottish Highland home, would every day gather his strength and jump up and grab the stone sill of that window with his hands and pull himself up and rest his chin on the window. And as long as his strength would hold, he would look to the highlands of his Scottish home. Then when strength would fail, he would let go and fall back to the ground and wait until more had built and he would jump and do it again. And over the months that he was incarcerated in that cell as a prisoner of England, he did it so much every day, jumping up, grabbing that sill, pulling himself up with all of his strength to fill his eyes with the scenes of his Scottish Highland home that over time he literally wore two slight grooves in the sill, stone sill of that prison life. The question for you and for me is this. As a dual citizen, are the marks of home on your life? Can people see? They're a really good citizen here on earth, but they're really not from around here either. Always talking about heaven. Always talking about home. Always talking about Christ and a life that models godly living. Dual citizenship, our eternal heavenly citizenship should shape our earthly citizenship. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge of this thought from the book of Philippians. And Lord, as we conclude this service this morning, have a brief invitation. I pray that you'd help those of us who know Christ as Savior to be doing business in our hearts with you and ensuring that we're modeling godly living, that we're making much of the gospel, and that we're moving in the direction of heaven very conspicuously with our life and our testimony. People can see it so that we are blameless and harmless as the sons of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom we shine as lights in the world, holding forth, offering the word of life. And Lord, as we offer the word of life, may we do so from a... a, life, a testimony that is consistent with what we're offering in the book. With our heads bowed and our eyes